pray real quick, and then we'll, we'll jump into our, our lesson. So, Father, thank you so much for a beautiful day. Uh, Lord, we do love you. I thank you, Lord, for these friends that have come. Uh, Lord, I know that we're all in different places in our lives, Lord, and, and um, some of us come, Lord, with really heavy hearts today. Uh, Lord, some of us are just carrying a huge burden. And, uh, I, Lord, I pray that your grace would just show up for them today, and you would uh, help us all, Lord, to gain some perspective. Um, Lord, in, in, in this, I pray that uh, we would take our eyes off ourselves a little bit. <laughs> And we would see uh, how great your wonder and grace and majesty is to us. And we get that perspective, Lord. And so, um, Lord, your word is so good and it's so true and it cuts deep, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that it might do that for us today. That's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, uh, I grew up in Hayward, uh, so East Bay, which it's going to be a lot nicer over there today than it is over here, right? <laughs> and so, uh, but my grandmother lived in Oakland, up in the Redwood Heights area, kind of up in the hills, a little nice area up there. And many weekends we would drive out there and uh, see my grandma or we would go mow her lawn and things like that. I always loved it when my dad came because he had a truck. And so back in the day, you know, we'd drive home in the back of the truck, you know, just loose in the back of the truck, right? How many of you remember that? Wasn't it great? How did we ever survive? You know, I mean, I'm not saying it's safe or anything. I'm just saying, man, we miss that, right? I don't know how our generation ever made it. Um, but my brother and I would go out there. I had an older brother and we would mow the lawn and pull the weeds and that kind of stuff. Of course, my brother, since he was older, he got to run the mower, which if you're a little brother and you know how this goes, that means I'm the one on my hands and knees, which back then in the 70s, there wasn't weed whackers, of course, right? No, there's not even like the edger thing. We had the, those, they were like scissors, you know, they were the, the lawn cutting and my grandma was meticulous. So, it's, I, and my hands are so small, like both hands kind of like scissoring the edges of the lawn and sweeping and pulling weeds and doing all that stuff. And my brother's just pushing the mower. And, um, you know, so, and there was a, a lady that lived next door to her and, uh, if there's ever a lady with, that would live, an old lady that would live next door, her name was Gladys. And that was her name. Her name was Gladys. And, uh, but we, we, I love my grandma because anytime we would go out there and do it, my, my grandma was very generous to us and would, you know, give us money and stuff for doing it. And um, Gladys, you know, would do the same. And so one time in particular, Gladys was in a, in a home. And so she asked us if, while we were going out there that we could do it, uh, do hers as well. So we spent about two hours, you know, working on her yard. My brother's mowing, which meant, of course, I'm on my hands and knees, pulling, trimming, weeding, things like that. And then we went to see her in the rest home afterwards. And I was probably, I think it was like eight years old. I think it was 1979 or so. My brother was 11. And we, you know, we, I'm excited because we're chit-chatting with Gladys in the, in the nursing home and stuff. And then she pulls out of her wallet a $10 bill to give to my brother. Now in 1979, that's good cash. You know what I'm saying? For, for a kid, that was really good cash. And I was really excited because I knew I was next, you know. And then she, then, you know, it's the purse where there's like the bills and then there's the little coin thing that you go like that. And she, oh, oh, oh no, oh no, oh no. And she pulls out a quarter, 25 cents. She goes, here's a bright new quarter for you. And I'm like, dude, I will take a dull 10 spot instead of that bright. I don't care how shiny the quarter is. Are you kidding me? You know, anyway. Um, and, like, I won the lottery. Like, here's a little quarter for you. <laughs> and I was smart enough to know the difference between that and a $10 bill. Anyway, um, I tried to be a good kid. My grandma was so big on manners and stuff. And, I, and she was looking at me like, don't you dare. Don't you dare say anything, you know. And my mom was so good. She gave me more cash later and stuff. And, and, but I was mad. I had a right to be mad, no? Little brothers of the world unite, right? I mean, so I, just, I was just like... Come on, 25 cents? My brothers did the same amount of work, same amount of time for $10? Are you giving me a quarter? I'm like, 
eight years old ready to join some Marxist revolution, you know, like against the evil Gladys, you know, heck no, I won't mow or I don't know, whatever. So I, there's the thing, you, you feel it, you know, when you're a kid, you feel that kind of equity. I know what your kids are. That's not what? Fair. We, your kids are constantly saying that to you. You don't have to even teach them what's fair. They know, right? And they will remind you with, at any little bit of inequity. And so today we're going to talk about fairness and inequity and generosity and impartiality, particularly from the hand of God. And inequity is, is when, it's pre, when it's blatant and obvious, um, you feel so upset. And I think, you know, was I right to be upset at Gladys? Yeah, I think I was. I don't know. But, but here's the thing. Was I? I don't know. Because did I ever work out a payment with Gladys ahead of time? You know, did she ever promise me $10? And, and you know, what if she gave me nothing? Would I have a right to be mad at the injustice? Or should I have just been a good kid and said, oh, that's okay. I'll do all those, that work for free. You know, there was no contract. There's no promise. You know, was I mad just because I got 25 cents and my brother got 10 bucks? I mean, if my brother got 25 cents, would I have been as mad? Probably not. And so... I just know there's not a person in here that as, even as a kid that doesn't understand ju the justice and inequity. And, and you wouldn't pretend that the, the great Gladys ripoff, which it came to be known as, you know, was fair. Because from the time we're kids, we have this innate understanding of fairness. It, it, you know, but you think about it, fairness and equity and those kinds of things are really subjective. And they probably are best left to supervising children on a playground. Because they are totally inadequate in dealing with bigger issues like our sin. And the last thing I think that we want from God is fairness and equity. Yeah. Right? And grace, God's grace to us is a refutation of both of those. And so um, here's where Jesus takes us today in, in today's parable. You know, what do we do with perceived injustice? Is God, what do we do when God seems more fair to another person rather than us? And if, if God is fair and gives everyone the same... Or, or, you know, even though some deserve more than others, is that okay? You know, what is the nature of God's grace to sinners? And I was thinking, like, by way of kind of setting this up in real life and where we are and what we all feel on a day-to-day, -day, let's think about how maybe the secular world looks at this. When I say secular world, I'm talking about this, just the basic run-of-the-mill atheists that are out there or the people that, that function as an atheist. They, they may say they believe in God, but they don't live, um, they don't understand grace and live that way. You see, I think every person in the world has a sense of justice, and we said, even as little kids. And, but if there's no God, and if it is matter only, like if the universe is strictly matter, and that's all there is, then how do we know justice? Because justice doesn't, it, justice is not matter. It doesn't weigh anything. It has no length or breadth or height or anything like that. It's the, the, if justice is not material, if the, if the universe is only material and there's no God, then what do you do with that? Because justice is not simply a social construct, right? That, that pure matter does not have a right and a wrong. And that's what the atheist philosopher David Hume talked about. They talked about Hume's uh, guillotine. That he said, you cannot get an ought from an is. If matter is all there is, there is no ought. It, it, there, there's, you, you can't say something should be a certain way. So what you would have to do then in the, that evolution, Darwinist worldview, you have to accept tragedy as reality and nature, uh, survival of the fittest and as natural and a good process, see? Because if we make up our own truth, then there is no objective morality, right? And if that's the case, you logically cannot believe in justice. 
your idea of justice is really just your opinion. You give up the right to say something should or should not be. You give up the right to say an ought or ought not and complain about anything. See, because I guess that the, the secularists, my guess is the secularists of our culture, those that are out there clamoring for justice and equity, many of them would deny the existence of God. They think that the, the universe is strictly material. They deny that we're created in God's image and that that idea of justice was placed in our hearts by a loving God who wanted us to know him because he is just. You see, they would say that we're all just simply a product of random chance of chaos, survival of the fittest, those kinds of things. But have you ever watched a nature show? Anybody ever watch a nature show? Do you think the apex predator is worried about equity? Which wildebeest is he going after? The slow one. The slow one, right? And, and the weak one. That's how Darwinian evolution is supposed to work, where only the fit survive. And if that's your worldview, if you're going to hang, hang on to that, Darwinian evolution and, and there is no God, then you should applaud when one person oppresses another. Because really, you're doing nature a favor to treat others with inequity, to steal, kill, and destroy from them. And if you're stronger than somebody else, it's actually a good thing to subjugate the weak because you're thinning the herd. So miss me with that whole, I believe in evolution, but I also believe in justice and equity. That, you cannot say that. Your, your atheist friend, you can tell them, if they were really consistent with their beliefs, they should just shut up about anything being right and wrong. They don't have that built into their worldview. There is no such thing. So for us, we believe that there's a just and honest and wonderful and generous God. And we are made in his image. And so we know justice. We know right and wrong because God has placed it within our spirit. And so we can be upset at injustice in the world and by sin. And so our call as believers is to work work to right wrongs, to seek justice for the oppressed. That's a Christian worldview. Now, in my case with Gladys, it got personal real fast, right? Real fast. And so even as kids, right, we have a sense of who deserves what and equity and fairness. But let's be honest, that is given to us by the Lord. <laughs> that is not given to us by society or by Darwinian evolution. See, when I years ago, I taught this parable to the kiddos over there, and I was asking them about what they think that they deserve. And I said, you know, when Christmas comes and your parents buy, let's just say, $150 worth of Christmas gifts, which nowadays probably is pretty low as a guess. But um, I said, do you think you deserve that? Do you think you deserve all those gifts for about 150 bucks? And a lot of them said yes, of course, you know. And then I said, well, I don't know, do you know this, kiddos, that it takes about $250,000 for your children, to, for your parents to raise you from zero to 18 $250,000. I said, do you think you deserve that? And only about, there's a couple, only maybe five kids raised their hand. I was kind of surprised by that. So by my very scientific research, your children's view of their self-worth is somewhere between $150 and $250,000. Just, you know, just so you take that home with you. But um, I asked all the teachers, of course, that are in there, and they're all parents, you know. And I said, is it worth it to you to raise, are your children worth $250,000 to you? And of course, they all said yes. And some of the kids looked really surprised. It was funny. But I spoke on your behalf. I hope that's okay. And I told them that their parents felt the same. That, that they are worth all that their parents would spend on them to raise them. And I told them, I said, this says way more about your parents' generosity and their love for you as their, as your chi as their child rather than the idea that you're smothered in awesome sauce. Okay, this says way more about your parents' love for you. And that is the point, isn't it? That's the point of our parable. 
our, our worth and the God, this is way more about God's generosity than it is about our deservedness. And so um, we're going to look, if you, if you want to turn on your Bible or flip there, we're going to Matthew, we're going to be in Matthew um, 20. But if you want to go to, in Matthew 19, New Testament, right? First book of the New Testament. Um, Jesus is trying to teach his disciples about this reversal of um, the world's values. That's what he's doing with a lot of these parables. He's, he's talking about the kingdom. What does the kingdom living looks like, look like? And so he's reversing the world's values. So, so there's several different accounts. And Jesus is describing what is important in the kingdom. And, and he says, um, um, but, to, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. And then at the end of our parable today, he says that same phrase again. So it's kind of bracketed by this idea of the first will be last and the last will be first. So our parable is in, in uh, Matthew 20, verse 1 through 16. And uh, we're going to, hopefully, let's just read it. I think it'll make sense to you. It's very understandable. And so I want you to think, though, about the, the sense of justice and, and what you might do if you were the first ones hired, okay? I'll just read it. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About, now, by the way, that, that's 6 a.m. They get started at 6 a.m. That's where they start their day. So three hours later, so it's about nine in the morning, so three hours later, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So that's different, right? He didn't say denarius this time. He said whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon, three hours later, and about three, hour, three in the afternoon, three hours later, and he did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he told them, go also, uh, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. So they would end their day at 6 p.m. So those last guys really only worked an hour. Okay, that's important to know. Um, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each of them received a denarius from Gladys. Um, <laughs> sorry, that's not in, that's in the original Greek. It didn't get translated. So, uh, no. Uh, when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Okay, so I'm sure you can follow what's happening in this story. Harvest time. Grapes are coming in. Time is of the essence. All hands on deck. This is harvest time. We've got to get the grapes in before they wither. There's a town square. Men looking for work. Early on, 6 in the morning, those guys are eager. They get hired. Then uh, they get to work uh, 12 hours. And they're happy at that moment to work for denarius. That was pretty much a typical day's wage. Uh, it was a good wage, subsistence wage. But, you know, back then what would happen is there were regulations about how um, even even within the law of God, regulations about how you would treat servants within your home. They were kind of like members of the household. So there's a lot of rules about how servants and, or sometimes translated slaves would get treated. It, don't think of the slavery that we have, you know, had in the United States and around the world or even now. They, they, were, they were part of the household back then. And so there were a lot of rules considering that, but there were no, no such protections for day laborers. Many of them were aliens and sojourners, easily overlooked and abused. And so these guys were waiting in the, in the marketplace to get hired. But that harvest is coming in. So the time is short. The work is long. The landowner keeps going out, you know, hires more at 9 and noon and 3 p.m. And, and notice he doesn't say denarius. He says, I'll pay you whatever is right. Thinking, assuming it's some kind of prorated percentage or something, right? 
It goes out at 5 p.m., one hour left to work, seems a bit surprised, maybe a little condescending. Says, you know, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Don't you know it's harvest time? Why aren't you working? And I don't know, maybe they were lazy. Maybe they just got there so they can go home and, and expecting not to get hired and they can go home and tell their wife, well, I tried. You know, I don't know. Or maybe, or maybe they tried and they just hadn't been chosen to work yet. But they were certainly not deserving of a whole day's wage, but they were willing to take that prorated wage. And see, Jesus' stories, like, tie a, I think they grip us emotionally. Aren't you there? You, you can feel this, right? You're, you're in this, and you feel for those early workers. You're like, I mean, how would you feel if you started at 6 a.m.? And it's hot. And maybe those guys roll up at 5 p.m., one hour left, and they get the same as you? Maybe they're just unluckily, maybe they hadn't been chosen, but either way, they only worked an hour. And so there's this reaction, right? But let's go on to verse 13. The landowner, he says, but he answered them, answered one of them. This is, ah, this is so powerful. This is so contrary. This is, the, this is where the kingdom is so, such a reversal of the world. He says, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Answer is what? Yes, you did. Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? The answer is yes. Or are you envious because I'm, gener I'm generous? The answer is yeah. So the last will be first and the first will be last. See, maybe you identify with those early workers, the responsible, hardworking ones, kind of easy to be resentful of guys that work less, skip out on responsibilities. We know those guys at work. Everybody's got those guys at work, you know, that, you know, you should, you're the 6 a.m. guy. You're there. You're working your full day. And there's guys that don't. Or maybe you realize, I don't know. I, I, I'd like to say I'm a 6 a.m. guy. I'm probably more of a noon guy. Maybe that's you, you know. Uh, I'll just do what's expected of me. Nobody's going to admit to being the 5 p.m. guys. Okay, let's just say that out. Um, but we all know people who don't do any more than what's necessary and they're excuses and lazy, that kind of stuff. But can I tell you what I think? Well, you can't say no because I've got the mic, you know. But uh, it's in my notes. I can't stop now. But it, it's bigger than this. It's bigger than this. This is, this is whether, this not about whether or not you work hard or where you're responsible or lazy. Um, this is because I think the focus of the parable is on the landowner. The focus of the parable is on God's grace, not the amount of work that the guys were doing. You see, it's clear that the focus is the landowner, who is our heavenly father, calling us in to kingdom work. And the point is that none of us are deserving of a denarius. We're all in our sin, that five o'clock man. See, the story is not about grapes. It's about grace. It's not about people. It's about his promises. It's not based on human standards of equity and justice. This is about the grace of the father. And his generosity to those of us who are undeserving. Because let's, the, the landowner is probably like, hey, friend, let's review the bidding. Okay? At 6 a.m., you were happy to have a job. And you had no prospect of making money today. And so I, I didn't tie you up. I didn't force you to work. I didn't drag you into the vineyard. You, I elected you to work in my vineyard. I offered you a fair wage. And you voluntarily chose to enter the agreement. And your family will eat tonight. Because I came to you with a job. And I, you upheld your end of the deal, and I upheld mine. I am being fair to you. Correct? Yeah. So then the landowner says, are you jealous because I'm generous? Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? And he says, if I'm required to give um, more to you because you work longer, then it's no longer grace. It's no longer a free gift that I'm giving to the later guys. 
I like to be generous. I like to give to those who don't deserve it. God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on who I have compassion. And so the question is, do we want what we deserve? I mean, our culture, let's be honest, it's really big on fairness, right? Equal pay, equal work, demand your rights. We've got protests and strikes and rallies and sit-ins. And for every perceived inequity out there, you got Yelp and eBay and Amazon reviews ready to lash out and Tracy Ransom raves. Uh, my gosh, stay off of that. Uh, they lash out at every failure to give your consumer rights. You know, we're told from early on, you work hard, um, you achieve, you'll get what you deserve. That's the American way. And we believe it. We, we want high grades and a raise and a position and reflect the hard work that we deserve. And we feel ripped off if somebody's going to pay us less than what we feel that we're due. We have a pretty inflated view, don't you think, of our rights and our deservedness. I mean, think about it. Has there ever been a society with a bigger sense of entitlement than 21st century Americans? My goodness. And for all our emphasis on justice, we really don't want it. Because our sin deserves death. That's why the whole main idea today is that God's generosity is better than human equity. God's generosity is better than human equity. Because I'll just say, for me, among all my many faults, I have a bent toward grumbling. And I've said it before, I, I often have viewed God wrongly, uh, kind of this Christian karma thing. I feel like, you know, if I do good, God's going to do good back to me. If I do bad, okay, I do, I'll take the bad that I deserve. But I feel like, I, you know, um, if anything bad happens, it's because I, it's a punishment because I deserved it. But when I'm doing good, boy, God owes me. You know what I'm saying? You know this feeling. Many of you are there. I should just get what I deserve for the good that I'm doing. And it's this really subtle way to, that we have of trying to control God, like that I have power over his blessing to turn it on or off based on my behavior. That is not the gospel. And when we live under that thinking, you know, that, that God rewards, rewards, the, um, rewards the good and punishes the bad, it can be very prideful, right? Because this is all about us and my performance and what I'm doing. And it took me years to understand that it's not about what I've done for him. It's about what he's doing for me, what he has done on the cross for me. And that no matter how good I was, I still deserve punishment. But he is gracious and compassionate despite my sin. See, this, again, this is why theology matters. It matters what you believe. We have to understand that our sin against, is treason against God. That we have an insurmountable distance between a holy God and us as a sinner. And this is why it's so important. We must understand we don't earn our salvation. If you, if you did, then we might think we deserve it. And we go around boasting about it like a 12-hour man. Rather than giving glory to God for his generosity we got to understand I could never do anything to earn my salvation, and therefore I can't do anything to lose it. It's the gracious gift of a Savior. So for me, I grumble. I get complainy, bordering on whiny. And I have felt many times that I didn't get a fair shake from the Father, that I was doing my part to be good, and God was not holding up his end of the bargain and giving me what I wanted. My justice meter starts beeping. Something's not fair. And I'm getting angry about it. So years ago, I was at a different church in Livermore and uh, living on a pretty tight salary, small savings, big debt. Didn't feel like it was fair. God, I'm doing all this for you and I can't afford the basics. Which is so funny. The basics in Northern California. You know what I'm saying? Very different than around the world, what the basics look like, right? Um, right or wrong, that was the feeling. I was grumbling. And for me, I was directing it at God. 
And I had recently read this parable, okay? And I'm like, I'm one of those 12-hour guys, <laughs> you know, bearing the burden of the work and the heat of the day, right? <laughs> and, I, you know, he was giving all these people, all the, these people that didn't care about the vineyard, all the things that I wanted. And you know how this feels, right? Where Satan exaggerates the value of the things that you don't have and he undermines the value of the things that you do have. And when you get in that mindset, you know it bleeds over into a whole lot of other things. And you know how contagious that discontent can be. And you start complaining about one thing and pretty soon you find something else to gripe about. And pretty soon you're whining and you're throwing an adult version of a temper tantrum that your kids are doing. Now at the time I was living in Tracy and uh, where we lived, we were on a community well. So you can't drink the tap water, it's just bad water. So we, were, we, we always had to go to um, the Pure Water store. It's over by the old Orchard Supply. You know, it's, it's, the name of the store is Pure Water. And um, so I would go and bring my five gallon bottles in there and fill them up, you know, and bring it back for drinking water and stuff like that. And so one night I was just loaded for bear, man. It was a full tilt nuclear, uh, you know, gripe session. <laughs> you know, as I'm, um, you know, don't have enough money for this and can't catch a break here, da da da. As I'm carrying two jars, two five-gallon jugs of water from the car into the house, it was as if the Spirit said, okay, enough. You know, I had just been to a conference um, where they were talking about what's going on in the world, how 26% of the world's population, what, 2 billion, have no clean drinking water at all. 46% of the world's population has no clean sanitation. So waste gets into the water system, right? You've got waterborne diseases. It gives people diarrhea. They're, they're dehydrated. They drink more bad water. The cycle keeps going. You've got many places around the world where women, it's usually the women that have to do it, and they're walking seven miles a day to get gross water to do anything with, wash clothes, drink, make food. It's a massive effort every day just to get by. And I'm carrying in 10 gallons of water from a store called Pure Water. God gave me the beat down with the truth stick, you know what I mean? In my own spirit. And the Heavenly Father did to me what you do to your kids with the entitled whining that's going on. And as a good father, he's like, uh, excuse me, mister, what exactly are you complaining about? And he told me very clearly in my spirit, and I can remember hearing it, and I tell myself this all the time still, Take your pay and go. See, it's like he's as if he asked me, what exactly did you sign up when you decided to follow me? He's saying, you know, at that time in 1990 when I was a college student, what was my denarius? What was going to be my day's wage? You know, was I not unbelievably thrilled to have the, at the idea of having all of my sins forgiven? Would I have not given up anything for the promise of heaven that was right before me? Did I not say, if I have Jesus, I don't need anything else in the world? The answer would be yes. What exactly did I hope when I was entering his kingdom vineyard? What did I expect? Was I not receiving everything that had been promised, a salvation, and a billion times more? And even if all I had was salvation, wouldn't that be enough to satisfy me? What had happened in all those years since that made me expect more? Expecting that God should answer every wish of mine, what, because I deserved it? See, in that moment, that truth stick beat down. I, it was both severe and gentle. And I love that about the Lord is he is severe and he's gentle. We're going to talk about this next week too. Um, but he says, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Friend? <laughs> you are a friend of the God of the universe. 
Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. You see, I was just, I was undone. I had no response. I was apologizing to the Lord. Yes, Lord, I, I'm getting all that I was promised. I'm getting so much more. Forgive me for my grumbling because, for being jealous because you're generous to somebody else. And, and, and he has, you have been generous to me, Lord, more than I ever know. And, and why am I so jealous? Because you're mildly generous to somebody else in an area that I'm looking at right here. This one area. You see, contentment many times is subjective. It's, it's because a lot of times we let it become, and it shouldn't be, we let it become as, as a comparison to other people around us. But I'll just say, if you want to compare yourself with people, stop comparing yourself with people you know, like people in this room, and compare yourself to people around the world. Because I want you to ask yourself, how do you think it would look, your grumbling would look to the truly poor of the world? You know, the 50% of the world that live on less than $2 a day. I would say shameful. There's an old website. It's down now. And so some of these stats are a few years old, but it was called globalrichlist.com. There were some stats here, just so you know. A few years old, but the, the, the point's there. If you make $50,000 a year, you are in the top 99.69 percentile of the world. There's only 0.31 people, percent people that are richer than you. $50,000. $100,000? You're in the top 99.2 percentile. There's only point, uh, no, I'm sorry, 99.02, my bad. There's only uh, 0.08% of the, there's only 5 million people in the world richer than you out of 8 billion. 150,000, the 0.06 percentile. Only 3.5 million people in the world richer than you. 55% of the world's population owns 1.3% of the world's wealth. And it's safe to say that nobody in this room is poor by world standards. So I, I know it's expensive to live here. I know it's hard some months to get by. But when we feel poor, we're comparing ourselves to other Americans, aren't we? We're not comparing ourselves to all humanity because compared to them, we're incredibly rich. And when you compare yourself to the guy or the gal next to you, that's when discontent festers. So I got this great video. It's really short, but let me set it up for you. They're, they did this test on monkeys capuchin monkeys, and they got two of them in separate cages, and they had trained them to do a task. So we put the rock in, and then the monkey gets the rock, and he gives the rock back, and then they get a reward for it. So there's cucumbers, which are less desirable, and then there's grapes, which are more desirable. So there's, you'll see how this monkey reacts when he does the task and gets a cucumber. Everything's fine. And then he sees the one next to him get a grape for doing the same task. You got to watch it. Here we go. The, the one on the left is the monkey who gets cucumber. The one on the right is the one who gets grapes. The one who gets cucumber, note that the first piece of cucumber is perfectly fine. The first piece he eats. Uh, then she sees the other one getting grape, and you will see what happens. So she gives a rock to us. That's the task. And we give her a piece of cucumber, and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us. And that's what she does. And she gets a grape. And she eats it. The other one sees that. She gives a rock to us now, gets again cucumber. She tests the rock now against the wall. She needs to give it to us. And she gets cucumber again. <laughs> Dude, okay. 
Is that not us? <laughs> See, <laughs> this is why we should stop comparing ourselves to others altogether. Because this is why I always feel like, if you want to feel bad about yourself, you can always find somebody who's better than you at something and feel bad about yourself. But if you want to feel good about yourself, you can always find some poor sap who's got it worse than you. You know what I mean? So there's always a way in comparison that, um, that you can make yourself feel better or worse. And see, I know for me, every time I let myself get critical, get a complaining heart and stuff like that, it's just more and more proof that I really don't understand grace to the extent that I should. In those moments, though that I get a strong picture of grace, I feel this contentment just well up in me. And I'm thankful for all the things that I don't deserve. And that's why I just have here that, and this is a little bit of a, a brain twister here, but it's contentment is less about getting more of what you want and more about wanting the less that you have. So God gives us his Ten Commandments, of course, the top ten, and uh, he says, don't covet. You may be thinking, oh my gosh, how does coveting and, and you know, being jealous make the same list as murder? <laughs> you know, but coveting is this lack of faith in God about God and his goodness and how he's taking care of us. Really what it is is a challenge to his justice. Coveting is an accusation that God is not fair. Because it's as if to say God owes me something, me something that he's given to other people. And it's as if to say if, if God gives it to one person, he needs to give it to everybody. Like what are we in second grade? You can't have a snack unless you bring enough snacks for everybody? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> like how ridiculous is that? I hated that as a kid. But to see, the parable is not about the workers or what they deserve. It's about the landowner giving what is not deserved because he is good. God's generosity is way better than human equity. And sometimes I think we need a really strong dose of take your pay and go. You are receiving your salvation. You're receiving what you signed up for. Yeah, nothing can take it away. You did nothing to get it. Nothing will, will remove it from you. you. It is held in the Father's strong hand, the Bible says. No one can snatch you out of his hand. And if that is not enough to satisfy your discontent heart, I think we need to check that. Because let's be clear, nobody in this story, this parable, received injustice. Every worker received grace, even those hired first. They were called to the vineyard, and that's grace in itself. The owner didn't have to hire any of them. He chose them all by his grace. But for me, in my relationship with God, all I have is demerit. That's the only thing I have to offer is sin, deserving of death. Romans 6.23, for the, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We, and, and we act as if God owes us, as if he's in debt to us. And if there is no more inappropriate sentiment in the Christian life than the idea that God owes me anything. You signed up for a denarius, your salvation. And he has been so generous to us, friends. Beyond that promise, more than we could ever imagine. So I, I urge you, just go home, make two columns. It'll be quick. Make the first one, all the things that he owes me. That's going to be kind of a short list. Um, and then the second list, though, all the things that he has given me beyond salvation, above and beyond the denarius that you signed up for. See, God has lavished blessings and beyond salvation so much more than we can promise. He has been so generous to just take an inventory 
of how blessed you are. And I think you'll stop being jealous because he's been generous to somebody else and you will take your pay and go. You know, two weeks ago, um, we, were, we were at kids camp played games all week, you know, and we had teams and, you know, just goofy games. You get points, you know, that kind of thing. And at the end of the week, my team came in second, always second, always second place guy. Uh, anyway, no, but <laughs> we, had, uh, we had a team that won. Uh, some of our girls were on the, the team that won. And the winning team the last morning got donuts. It's big, big time, right? And so they're outside eating donuts. And I actually heard some of the kids say, that's not fair that the winning team got donuts. And just so you know, the rest of us were inside eating cinnamon rolls. <laughs> I'm like, what a week of unbelievable extravagance compared to other children of the world. And it's not fair that you get cinnamon rolls instead of donuts and cinnamon rolls. We're not that different from our kids, are we? We're not. God's generosity is better than human equity. All right, let's pray. Father, forgive us. Um, Lord, I, I just thank you, Lord, that you are both severe and gentle. And that, Lord, you teach us, um, you set us right, like a good parent would, of what our perspective needs to be. Lord, um, you have been and you are unbelievably generous to us. You're so good. And Lord, we just lose that perspective. That's our flesh. That's our humanity, Lord. And, and I know that you understand that. But Lord, correct us. Teach us. Train us, Lord. Uh, to, to appreciate all that you've given us, Lord. And Lord, I, I pray for anybody here that um, maybe has never even been called out into the vineyard yet. Lord, I, I imagine there are people here that realize... Um, I'm not in God's vineyard yet. And grace, I've not received grace before. This free gift that God is offering to every person to be called into the vineyard, to, to, to be his child, not based on what we do, but based on Christ on the cross, taking away the punishment for all of our sins. Lord, um, what an unbelievable gift. Lord, I pray for anybody here today that is realizing as they sit here, I've never done that. Lord, I pray that they would do that even right now. That they would just pray to you, Lord Jesus, forgive my sin. I've lived my whole life running from you. I've lived my whole life being indifferent from you, to you and avoiding you. Because of what? Because I'm afraid what it might look like to truly live for you and give my life to you. But Lord, today I do that. I give my life to you. I thank you, Lord, for your generous gift of grace, the promise of heaven when we die, and the promise of the Holy Spirit living within us here on earth. Lord, um, I receive that gift this morning. And guys, if anybody has prayed that prayer this morning, I want you to please come talk to me or any of our ushers or greeters or anybody, please come talk to us and let us know that. We had some kids this last week do that and the week before kids camp, and it's a wonderful thing. Lord, help us to um, just think rightly about you in your goodness and grace. It's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen.